Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Uh, I am really, really sorry about the uh, delay. For some reason, my camera decided to take crap on me. Uh, it is actually not the camera itself, but probably the the uh, USB cord or something. Um, but my uh, EOS webcam thing was not working. So I had to switch it up to the cam link tonight. So if the camera dies halfway through, it just means I have to restart the camera. And uh, you guys will have to deal with not seeing my face for a couple of seconds. But anyways, we got a great show for you tonight. Let's start with some sponsors. Of course, we have Dot coffee for all your delicious italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door bring the taste of italy home use btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount and of course my friend my partner the coolest guy you know uh toplobster.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs where you can get this great don't hurt people and don't take their stuff shirt that i'm wearing tonight uh use btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount or uh you guys can join the patreon subscribe star or the uh membership for the youtube channel and get into a private discord server where you will get uh the new designs up to two weeks early at like a 30 percent discount that's a huge discount guys you have no idea that's huge um so go do that and of course executive producers of the show anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs check these people out today see what they can do for you your home or your business they're doing a wonderful job that the government sucks at historically uh much more cheap or much cheaper and much more efficiently all right now we got all that out of the way and uh the show is underway and a little bit late i apologize guys i really do i hope everything uh looks okay and sounds okay for you guys video may be clearer tonight because we're working with a, a 4k and hdmi um instead of the uh, normal 1080p stream that we do um so it may look better i don't know i don't know but uh we have a great guest for you guys tonight i'm very excited uh, another another guy who didn't big time me on Twitter. Uh, you know, I always think I'm going to get big timed by everyone I reach out to. Uh, but then I remember the show's growing and it's 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 becoming a good platform. And so hopefully everyone uh, enjoys coming on and hanging out with me. But our uh, our guest tonight is a stand up comedian, podcast host. He was the host of Ginormous Food on Food Network, and he is a professional funny man. He is Josh Denny. How you doing tonight, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you know, I can't complain, man. I mean, I, I should complain after all the drama I put you through already, right? Looking good in 4K, my friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks pretty good, man. It's it's definitely, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, the video looks different to me. Maybe it looks different to you guys. I don't know. You let me know um, if if so. But anyway, so uh, you you do a lot, man. You do a lot. And yet very little, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it feels very little. These days I just try to do what, I, what I'm excited to do or what I feel like doing. And then the rest is, you know, the rest just kind of comes and goes. Sure. Absolutely, man. Uh, well, you, you, you know, you're a professed libertarian on Twitter. Uh, I I sit on the Libertarian National Committee. I don't know if you're aware of that. I'm an at-large. I am, I'm aware. It's uh, a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. 20,000 members. Huge. Huge. Uh, but can you, we usually start off the show with like the journey. How did you, how did you get to these ideals? You know, it, uh, I think I never really knew kind of like growing up or whatever, where my political ideas fell. It wasn't really, I didn't even really become familiar with libertarianism until I started doing stand up. I was 23 and, um, you know, it naturally by, by kind of falling into stand-up comedy. When you get into stand-up comedy, you immediately are kind of thrust into interacting with people that you might not ever normally interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like comedy is this thing that unites people who otherwise may have nothing in common. And so when you start talking about political ideologies and stuff, there's a lot of like, oh, well, if you think that, you're not liberal. If you think that, you're not conservative. And so um, it, it became pretty evident early on with some of the friends I made in comedy that the, the, the label that fit the best, uh, was libertarian in the sense of, you know, really just, uh, wanting limited government and, and wanting, uh, you know, individualism and individual responsibility and, and really just for the government to sort of stay out of our personal business. And, you know, it's kind of uh, at the time when I started doing stand up comedy, I was working in corporate America and it became pretty evident that, you know, the more power 
that anybody in a position of power has, the more control they have, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that things are better. And I think our government does a good example of proving that, uh, you know, the more power we give them doesn't necessarily mean that they know what the fuck to do with it or, or, um, you know, that, that they necessarily have anyone's best intentions, uh, or, or, you know, best wishes in mind with that power, with the responsibility that comes with it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I don't disagree with you there. That's for sure. Uh, and I think, you know, the last year has really been a testament or last year and a half now, maybe next two years, who knows, uh, has really been a big testament to all that. But, um, let's, you know, I've had some other stand up comedians, Christy Mayer and, uh, and, and Robbie, the fire Bernstein and Dave Smith on the show. And, and we talked a lot about New York, uh, uh, during COVID and being a comedian and trying to do, you know, comedy in New York, but well, you're a California guy, right? Yeah, I've I've been here for the last uh, 11 years or 12 years now. I moved in 2009, so I guess it's 12 years. Nice. So, I mean, what is it? I'm a California boy, born and raised. I'm I'm right outside of Oakland, uh, and I actually took off and left to the middle of the country uh, five minutes before they started the lockdowns. Actually, 11.55, I left. They started the lockdowns at midnight last March, um, and I took off, and I have not looked back. Um, But what has it been like for you? You're Southern California. Uh, stand up, trying to do comedy, trying to trying to hit some gigs. I mean, what's what's it been like? It's really just it's it's been pretty chaotic here. I mean, you know, I for for like, man, I want to say for like a year, I, I think I maybe did like one spot, uh, you know, from the time things shut down. And I was sick pretty early on. Like <clears throat> I was one of those people that not necessarily diagnosed with COVID, but pretty sure I had it. Uh, the end of 2019 going into 2020, uh, my girlfriend and I were sick for like 10 weeks and had all the COVID symptoms and everything else. And then when we, when we ended up testing positive for it in June, our symptoms were very mild. So we felt like that was a reinfection. Um, but yeah, I mean, not doing stand up from like December of 19, I think I did like one thing right before the shutdown in February or March, like after I, you know, was feeling better and then everything shut down and it just kind of went to sleep. And that, you know, in LA, it came back very briefly here, um, in June. And we had like, you know, not even a full month of everything being open again before they've already damn near shut everything down. Yeah. It's, it's ugly, man. And you know, one can only hope that they're going to recall, uh, gruesome, newsome man. I hate that guy so bad. How do you, did how do you, you see what I just put on Twitter? Like right before we went live? No, I was watching your show earlier and was like listening to a little bit about what, what, what you were saying about it and leaving and uh, stuff. You know, it blows my mind. Uh, you know, I, I really try not to jump into political Twitter too much. I like to kind of just throw grenades. So like, I'll say whatever shit I want to say and let people react however they want to react. But I clicked on a thing. Uh, it was about newsome winning a court uh, ruling that he is allowed to basically in his summary, which they'll send out with the mail-in ballot stuff, his summary will basically allow him to say that the entire recall election is a extremist right-wing hit job on his position. Um, And they're like, yeah, it's really just like campaigning. So they're essentially allowing him to put propaganda in the voter uh, guide um, to try to swing votes back his way. And what disgusted me the most about it was when you go in the comments below that, it's so many Los Angeles people that are like, we have to stop these crazy conservatives, these white supremacists from trying to steal our governor position. It's like, dude, the amount of people that just lap up the dog shit is horrific. And it's like, you wonder like we, you look around, you're an, you're a California guy. You look around cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles and you go clearly, regardless of your party affiliation, you got to look around and go, this shit ain't working right. for anybody, for anybody. And then you see all of this support and I'm like, what you have to be millionaires who don't have to live in the real world to think this way, to think that this guy's doing a good job at all is like insane to me oh yeah well and it's 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 funny because you know I, I grew up going to san francisco a uh, weekly you know i worked in san francisco for a long time i i spent a lot of time there he's the reason san francisco is a shithole he's literally the reason why this the city was great before that i mean it was always expensive to live there my whole life it's been way too expensive to live in san francisco yeah 
But now there's heroin needles all over the ground and shits everywhere. Literally, they have a shit map. You can go online and look up on your phone, like the San Francisco shit map, and it'll tell you every shit. Like people log the shits and, <laughs> and put them on. That's hilarious. Yeah. And it's like Newsom's the reason it's like that. He was the mayor who did that to San Francisco. And instead of, you know, beating him up over it or tar and feathering him or whatever you should be doing to this man, we made him the governor of the entire state. Yeah. So now we can have a shit map for all of California. You know, the po- the politicians coming out of California are like the poster children for failing upwards. Oh, 100%. In society today. I mean, you know, that's why I laugh when people go, yeah, man, if you don't like California, bro, just fucking leave. And it's like, you do know that the people who've ruined California are now a heartbeat away from running the country. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I think the word I used on Twitter was uh, uh, evacuated uh, depends full. Uh, Not a heartbeat, but they're a one evacuated depends full (laughs) away from running the country. And, uh, you know, it's these kind of policies are not just going to be in Los Angeles and New York moving forward. I mean, as much as uh, conservatives and libertarians and independents are kind of challenging the status quo, um, in terms of like smaller political offices and, and Congress and things like that, you also have insane, uh, leftism and, and socialist candidates that are running for those offices as well. So for every, like, you know, pro second amendment libertarian that wins an election, there's also a fucking transgendered, uh, Antifa division leader or chapter leader who's, you know, also winning a seat. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's kind of creeping everywhere. I mean, I, I don't know where you moved to from California, but the conversation we had on the podcast earlier that I did today was like, where do you go? Where do you go where you feel like these things might never get there? And is there a place in America where, you know, it's not going to be like that for the next 10 to 20 years? Yeah, I live in one of those places now, but I moved I moved to Iowa. So, yeah, uh, and it's great. It's actually going the opposite direction here in Iowa. So, yeah. So we passed each other. I lived in Minneapolis for 11 years before I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, And I, I graduated from high school in Southern Minnesota uh, in a town called Austin, which is like right on the Iowa border. So we, we kind of reversed paths in life, but I'll tell you what, Iowa, great, you know, great place, man. Some of my favorite gigs ever were in Iowa. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a lot cool. Like, you know, I moved here for my fiance, my fiance lives here. And uh, when I got, when I came here, is she made of corn? Yeah. Corn and ranch dressing. She's just a, yeah, she's one burlap sack full of corn and ranch dressing. No, she's beautiful. She's amazing. (laughs) Greatest mom. I know. Uh, I will tell you that I will tell you this, uh, uh, Iowa, not Iowa state, but university of Iowa campus, the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. It's like, you can literally travel around rural Iowa and see nothing. And then you go to like university of Iowa campus and it's like, where are these tens from <laughs> other states? They are all, yeah. I was like, they're fucking, it's insane. They're like tan blonde fucking perfect natural perky you know b cup t- you're like where are they making these yeah i mine mine was made in mason city iowa so not not <laughs> not far from not far from the uh the, the the minnesota border she's she's pretty amazing looks like you got some friends here in the chat denny what's going oh, yeah. on they love you yeah, man all the time yeah you, you got a you got a five dollar super chat denny's an uber driver is that true you yeah drive, drive an uber I used to, yeah. Pre-pandemic, I used to. For a lot of years, actually. I was one of the first Uber drivers in L.A. You know, it's it's funny. When I lived in California, and subsequently, prior to that, uh, I, were, I lived in Portland, Oregon for about seven years. And I did Instacart, man. And there was like there was like months where I'd make twenty-five to, to, to $4,000. I mean, it was, you know, it was good money. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like, well, I kind of got, it kind of like fell in my lap. In 2013... Um, I had, I had gotten recruited by this company. I was working for Sean John of all places uh-huh. as a, as a retail director. And, um, we, I worked for a company called SJ retail as a small LLC. We actually bought the Sean John stores away from P Diddy. Um, and our, our goal was to like, get them fixed, write the ship and then flip it to another equity company. We ended up, we ended up selling it back to Sean, to P Diddy, to Sean John himself. But, um, 
what I was going to say is, uh, as we were selling the company, my boss was like, you should probably get the resume out there and, you know, cause we're not going to make a ton of money on this deal. Uh, and basically meaning I wasn't going to make any money on the deal. So I was like, all right, cool. I started interviewing with other companies. I got recruited to this check cashing company. And, uh, I like I traded my car in shortly before that I had like a gas guzzling SUV and I got something like a four door sedan that was fuel efficient. And then about 90 days into working for this company, I brought up that they were doing something illegal. And I, and I, and I really brought it up in the sense of like, I, th I don't think you guys know this is illegal to do in California. So like, like, let me just point it out so we can fix it and not get sued. Um, but it was also something that affected me inside the company as well. And then they fired me and, and used the fact that I was a comedian um, as the excuse, as the reason, right? And then, of course, naturally, I was like, no, that's it's because I blew the whistle on this thing that you're doing that's illegal. So I got a lawyer and filed a lawsuit, but I was unemployed for the first time ever. Like I had never been fired from a job or had ever been without work. And so in California, we have this awesome cap on unemployment. So even if you have a job where you're making 125 grand a year, the most you can get per week in unemployment is 450 bucks. Of course, yeah. Right? And so I was like, well, that's not going to cut it. So here I am with this 2013 Ford Fusion. And weirdly enough, in the very last business trip I went on in Chicago, uh, the guy I worked with introduced me to uber i didn't know what it was and, and we had to get back to the airport he was like oh we'll never get a taxi down here uh at this time of day let's call an uber and i was like what's that so as we're driving to the airport in rush hour chicago traffic it's almost like foreshadowing of what's going to happen in my life this driver is explaining to us how uber works and how much money he's making and everything else and so like i got fired like a week later and was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And then I was like, let me look into this Uber thing. And yeah, man, it was like, oh my God, I can just take this car that I just bought and, and don't know how I'm going to pay for it and actually make money with it. And, and, you know, it was so lucrative as like a side hustle that even when I got my food network show in 2016, when I would come home from filming, like we'd be like two weeks on two weeks off, two weeks on two weeks off. When I would come home, um, from that's funny that's weird that somebody knows that who's the most famous person i drove in an uber uh kirsten dunst no kirsten dunst actually and i didn't drive her i drove somebody from her house that's fucking straight i don't even remember that person say i don't even remember saying that but this is how this is how up my ass these trolls are jesus um, that's funny yeah but uh but yeah so anyway even when i had the show i was still doing it on my off weeks because i was like i was sure that the show was not going to get picked up was not going to get renewed what like you know when something like that happens you're just like yeah this is going to end any day now and we ended up running for three seasons but you know tv contracts aren't what they were in the 80s and 90s i made four thousand an episode you know i made like basically the equivalent of what i would at my job uh for a year and a half you know, just doing the show. So, you know, it's, but yeah, it, the, the side hustle thing is, is critical. And then that business, uh, I don't know you, how long into the pandemic you were out here, but when the pandemic started, all of the business of like rideshare went dead. Right. Like nobody was going anywhere. The streets were a ghost town. Like you'd go out to work and I get like one ride an hour. It was insane. So I just, I stopped doing it. I found other ways to make money in addition to the stuff I do comedically. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of one of those things I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like one of the good things of the pandemic is it's kind of forced people to sink or swim. Right. And so as all these obstacles have arisen for all of us, you know, we either figure out how to tread water, we drown. And, right. and I've been very fortunate to, you know, to, to, fall into some things. One of them is the new show I'm doing on censored TV, which is, is a kind of my primary project right now. And, you know, I started doing a little bit of stand up. going back to your initial question, a little bit of stand up, um, March, April, May, getting out and traveling and that type of thing. But, um, when I got back at the end of May, you know, I was just like, I'll wait until everything's all the way open. And now we're going the other yeah, direction. Yeah, it's going the wrong way. Absolutely. Unless yeah. you come to the middle of the country, Texas, Florida, or, you know, that's it. That's it. It's really it. The, the, the coastal elites are, are, are not letting you go outside anymore. They're going to stop you forever. Uh, it's nuts. They want you, they want you at home drinking Mountain Dew, getting fat and taking your UBI like a good person. Ooh. 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny because um, yeah, where, where is that UBI by the way? Yeah, I'm exactly. all where is it? Where, that's the that's the fucking left wing thing. Yeah, I'm all for it. Where is it? Show me the UBI, and, and no one's done it yet. Isn't that interesting? This magical thing that's going to fix all of our problems, and not a single fucking state has like we'll pilot it. Oh, excuse me, they're giving me my uh, my child tax credit early every month right now. So Ooh, I know, that's I, I know, almost like a UBI. Right? <laughs> well, it's, it's, I have seven kids; they're giving me seven fifty a month. I'm like, really? I think my child tax credit is going to be a little bit bigger than that, dude. No kidding. <laughs> my God. Yeah, I'll tell you. Now, this is one area where I kind of diverge from libertarian uh, thinking. Is I, I'm not a to a UBI in replacement of welfare and other systems and then capped at a certain income level. So, you know, I, I it, it is kind of weird. Like when, when you get into like political debates with people and they go, Oh, you're libertarian. So this is what you think about this. And it's like, yeah, not always, not necessarily. Yeah. I had a really good conversation. Are you familiar with the Mises Institute at all? A li- vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. So I had, uh, I had the president of the Mises Institute on the other night, um, Jeff Deist, who's Fantastic. If you ever get a chance to talk with him or, or listen to him, he's, he's really amazing. But um, he was kind of saying he's, he's like, you know, libertarian at this point is policies. You know, it's there's an ideology behind it, but the ideologies are like anarcho-capitalism and agorism and left, you know, like libertarian socialism or whatever they want to call that. And um, he said, so when people tell you you're not a real libertarian That's popular in L.A., by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I got a really good friend from L.A. that's a libertarian socialist named Kevin Shaw, and he might be the only one I know that's a legit libertarian socialist. He's like, he's like, no, all these other guys are assholes. I just want to have like my own commune where we all chill and don't like have anybody else like tell us what to do. I was like, well, all right, well, that sounds fine with me. You know what I mean? Um, But Jeff said, you know, when people tell you you're not a real libertarian, just say okay and keep going on about your day what the fuck does it matter you know Um, yeah well and also it's just like that's like when people that's when people used to be like you're not a real christian it's like well what what defines what a real christian is or a real catholic is right because the guys that are supposed to be the closest to it some of them are molesting kids so is that real (laughs) or you know it's so it's it's so funny when people get into this sort of holier than thou uh mindset about your political leanings or your your religious leanings it's like uh, my feelings about polit- like how I am a libertarian are the same way I feel about how people practice their religion. Like do it however you feel is best, right? And if and if you don't think what my views are a libertarian, that's not I'm not gonna lose any sleep over that. Sure. Yeah, I spent a long time, you know, especially I ran for national chairman of the party twice, uh, 2018, 2020, and uh, I, I was it was like the the first campaign I was so thin skinned, man. Anytime somebody's like, rawr, rawr, you know, I'd be like, oh, hi, let me, I got to explain this to you. And, and then the second camp, by the second campaign of dealing with libertarians on a daily basis, I was just like, okay, I don't fucking care anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you guys can keep being assholes. I don't care. Yeah. Libertarians are, there is this weird contingent of libertarians where they're sort of like the, well, actually, uh, of all political discussion. Um, they're very well, actually what we should, you know, everybody has this sort of idea that, um, that they've sort of hacked it on all levels. And, um, you know, ultimately it's just, to me, the best ideas should win out regardless of where they come from. Right. And so in my mind, just from an economic perspective, I think the best, the absolute best uh, economic plan for fixing our economic problems in this country is actually a blend of socialism and capitalism and, and almost extreme capitalism in the sense of uh, you could have a UBI up to a certain income level, and then you could have no income tax up to another high tier, and then you could have a fair consumption tax to offset those costs that is at, you know essentially a voluntary tax where people can buy expensive shit and pay higher taxes on it if they want to. And if they don't want to buy expensive shit or imported shit and they want to buy domestic stuff and pay a lower tax rate, that, that's an option too. There, there's a lot of ways that you can take good ideas from different political parties and come up with the ultimate best system that would potentially work. But you know, unless any of us are sitting at the fucking table looking at the the balance sheet for the United States and actually knowing which money we can move around. It's all just theoretical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, the problem, the problem is that the government keeps the good ideas from winning out. Right. And I talked a little bit about this. I had, uh, I had Mark, um, uh, Pellegrino on my show last night from lost and, uh, uh, Dexter and some other shows. Really cool guy, by the way. Um, but, uh, 
you know, we talked a little bit about how, you know, the government has this monopoly on on ideas really in this country, you know, it, one way or another, they get to control all the, all the ideas, right. Especially economically and socially. And, um, and so, you know, removing that gives us the opportunity to see what ideas, uh, could, could win out, but, um, we still have this big, huge roadblock in, in the way. So, um, my, my, uh, my camera froze, so I'm going to restart it, but Hey, let's, let's talk a little bit about food network. Can we talk about that? Is that okay? Of course. Yeah. All right. So you, you got, you landed a show on the, the, the prestigious food network, which by the way, <laughs> I, I, let me tell you, I love the food network. I do. I, you know, I watched chopped religiously. I watched all this shit all the time. Same, same, yeah, it, same. It's my grandma's favorite channel. Right. And so like, I'd go to visit grandma. We'd sit there and watch like the chopped marathons together. No, not say a word you know um but you landed the show ginormous foods which you know i'm a fan of ginormous food myself uh what what happened man so i i did some reading online and uh you know they said that you got kicked up you got canceled for tweets but that's not the truth right you got canceled like you got canceled like a year prior to all that shit going down right yeah the, sh the show ended i mean essentially it it's weird because there's not really a cancellation with those things they just don't pick up your next contract period so sure. You kind of go term to term and, you know, even we were like in season two um, of the show and they made the mistake of sending the advertising people out to, um, can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah. They made the mistake of sending the advertising people out to our set in season two. And, you know, you, you get a couple of drinks in those guys and grease them and they tell you what your fucking show is actually making for the network. And you go, Oh, I had no idea. Um, and so I, you know, I called my agents and I was like, listen, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to be coming back and doing this show for the next contract term without renegotiating. I mean, we're, we're doing, you know, we, we ended up being syndicated, like season two, we ended up being syndicated in 14 countries. Um, and at that point I had no producer credit and, uh, you know, was making a very small hosting fee by comparison to some of their other shows, but we were like, our show was one of the most successful new show launches they had in a long time. And, uh, and it was literally like the second I started, even before we started talking money and I just said, Hey, you know, I'm basically writing the show on the fly. I should at least be getting some creative producer credit for the, you know, the creative side of the show. And the second, the second I started having those conversations with people at the network, the entire attitude just changed towards me, towards the show. And, um, you know, they, they, that's, what's interesting is you start throwing out numbers. You go, Hey, I know the show is making this amount of money per episode in advertising. I know what the syndication deals have made going into foreign markets. I mean, this is a show that, uh, for all intents and purposes has made over a hundred million dollars plus. Um, and I've, so far I've made, you know, at this time we had done, half of season two and season one. So I made like 50 grand hosting a show that at that point made, you know, nine figures for the network. And I was like, and the other thing that kind of pissed me off, and this is just me being fully transparent at the time, right after my show happened, two other of my agents, clients got deals for shows. Uh, one of them was Jeff Dunham and Jeff Dunham basically like paid for my entertainment lawyer's entire, you know, he, he's like his meal ticket. <laughs> he's got his fucking puppets up in the office. And I went, and I was like, Oh shit. When I met with my lawyer, I met with my lawyer before my agent. Cause I didn't have an agent. I just scrambled to get an entertainment lawyer to do my contract. Cause I, I, I was like, man, I don't want to get fucked. And then he told me, you're definitely going to get fucked. We're just going to try to make sure we get you as much lube as possible on this first go around. <laughs> but I, I went into his office to meet him. And uh, I was like, oh, man, that's right. You rep Jeff Dunham. You got like his puppets around the fucking office. And he could tell I was being kind of snarky. And he goes, you know, Jeff Dunham basically paid for my house. Like, <laughs> having him as a client is why I have a home, a lovely home in the valley with a wife and two children like that. Thanks to those fucking puppets. Right. And so uh, but anyway, he had done Jeff Steele and, and he had done uh, my agents who I ended up signing with at UTA had done Hannah Hart's deal. And neither of those shows were hitting anywhere near the numbers our show was doing. And they both made about five times per episode what I was making. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? 
Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over and so i was like okay i get it you know hannah had a massive youtube channel when they signed her uh jeff is a megastar i get it but i was like i you know give me something i gotta come back you gotta give me some side of the production some piece of ownership in the show or you just got to raise my hosting fee and they weren't willing to do any of it. And on top of that, they started, uh, they started bitching at me about what I was putting on the internet and, uh, you know, stand up and that type of stuff. And they were, you know, they, they had my, they had the head of my production company, the guy who owned it, a guy named Zach come out and take me to lunch in Santa Monica. And, and it was weird. Cause I was like, I don't ever talk to Zach. My producer was his partner named Libby. And I worked with her on everything. I would talk to Zach once a season. When we would get picked up, he would call me and be like, congratulations, you know, another another season. This is great. Um, but he he wanted to come out and sit me down and have a conversation. And it, it was one of those conversations where you're kind of like shell-shocked. And then I walked away from it. I was like, oh, he just tried to talk me into quitting stand-up to do the show. Like, so obviously the network talked to him. It was like, we need to get him to stop being a comedian if he's going to keep doing this family friendly show for us. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> all the shit I said on Twitter and on the internet and as a standup, I had been doing long before they came along and, and hired me to do this show. So it was like, what do you have buyer's remorse now? Like I'm not any different than the guy you hired in 2016. The difference is now there's a lot of fucking money on the line and you're scared that me being myself might be a problem for the network. Right. Right. And so, that's really what it boiled down to. And we, we had a couple of intense conversations. I mean, one of which where I was on with the president of the network and they were like, well, you know, maybe if we scrub some of this from your Twitter and maybe if we, maybe if we look at pulling down some podcast episodes and I go, listen, man, we'll de delete it all. Cut me a check for fucking $20 million. You can have me for the next 10 years. Right. I was like, I'll, I'll suck people's dicks on chopped every day. Uh, and you can film it. I can be one of the mystery basket items. I don't give a shit. Like the chopped, the chopped uh, fluffer. You'd be the yeah. chopped fluffer. You yeah. Try I'll, to get the I'll, anxiety out. Listen, I'll I'll carry Bobby Flay's ball bag around for the <laughs> next ten years for twenty. If you want me to sell out, cut me a check. Yeah. And uh, you know, and like there was a combination of people giggling and, and people not being f fucking not liking it at all on right. the call, and. Right. Uh, you know, my, my, I will say this, my showrunner at the network, a dude named Steven Lerner was fucking awesome. He was like exactly what you imagine old school, New York, like entertainment industry Jews to be like, you know, he just, he, he would literally like walk in, he'd walk into a dinner. We'd have a dinner at the beginning of production at a season. And we would all meet in, in like New York where food network was based and we do like a, a season pre-production thing and we go to the network offices and then we would sit at dinner and Steven would walk in and he goes, listen, I got 30 fucking minutes and then I got an isolation tank appointment. Like, <laughs> let's get, let's get it moving. <laughs> it's like, this just this weird eccentric. When I met him, he was in a fucking hammock suspended between two cubicles that were no longer in use. And I almost pictured in my mind that he was like, what do these two people do here? And they were like, oh, she's in accounting and she's in social media. He's like, you're both fucking fired because he wanted to put his hammock up in the office. I mean, it was just the, he was like, but also the most fun fucking guy on that show. And he was like my confidant. Anytime I was frustrated with the network, that's who I would talk to. And he'd be like, listen, you know, your first show, you're always going to take the fucking bloodbath. You know, you got just play ball with us on this one. We'll get you something that's more your speed and we'll keep working with you. And, you know, I, I genuinely felt like he wanted it to work and he wanted to make shit go. And I think at the end of the day, he just, he got overruled. Yeah. And he was also the last male executive 
oh, in the entire upper chain. Like it was all women. And then this one dude. And, uh, and so he was already had the bullseye on him for being like the last guy in a position of power at the network. That's crazy. Uh, you- but he was like the show whisperer. He, he, he like, he was the guy who basically discovered the property brothers and like launched HGTV to being one of the big networks. And so he, they kind of like had to deal with him because he'd had so many hits. Sure. Sure. Uh, we got a super chat from uh, my friend Rogue Liberty podcast. By the way, if you like uh, British people, check out Rogue, Rogue Liberty's podcast. He's really good. Uh, he says, how many times have you been canceled from Food Network by triggered white women on Twitter? <laughs> people ask me, they go, why do you leave that in your bio? That's exactly why I leave it in my bio. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that's what it is. It's always always the the chalk roaches, as I like to call them. They're always the, the virtue signalers that are pissed off about uh, your, what you said online. My autofocus box is on, the, is, is on by the way, guys. I'm going to fix it next time Josh goes on a rant, I promise. Uh, <laughs> that's why I try to get up and do that because well, you go full screen when I'm, when I'm not talking. And so uh, I was like, oh, just keep rolling. I'm going to fix it. But um, is the next time I go on a rant, all right, I'll shut the fuck up then. No, Jesus, I like the I thought- rants. That's the, important, that's the important part of the show. I just Look, I'm not smart, right? So I have this show where I bring people on that are smart or funny or uh, interesting or they have, do something in culture, and, and I just sit here and listen, man. You know what I mean? That's, it's a good gig. It's like, a good gig if you can do it. That's how you do it, man. Um, we Thank you for the super chat, Derek Slide. I appreciate $5 super chat. Uh, so what's it like? Okay, so here's the thing. You're You're – Pretty, I mean, you're a pretty conservative-leaning libertarian on on a lot of stuff. Definitely the the cultural, social justice woke warriors uh, wouldn't like you, right? Um, no, <laughs> that might be the that might be the safest thing you'll say on this podcast. Yeah. So how how has it been? Uh, you know, being that style of comedian and living in California. I mean, is that has that been really really hard for you? Not really, you know, and I'll say this, the people like audience members that come to shows don't really care about that shit. And this is like a common thing. You hear people like, oh, can you even do comedy anymore uh, with how uptight everybody is? I mean, those uptight Karens and shit are not coming to live stand up shows. They're just not there. Um, But I will say this, you know, the, the somewhat difficult part has been that, you know, when I moved to L.A. and started doing stand up here in 2009, Um, you know, you make friends along the way. And a lot of the people that I was very friendly with early in my time in Los Angeles doing standup all the way up until a few years ago, basically until about 2016, um, you know, most of those people I don't talk to anymore. And it's because we are so opposed in the way we view, you know, not just comedy, but the world. I mean, those two things are kind of synonymous. So, you know, it's, it's like a lot of them have really gone the other direction where, you know, I have friends. It's, it's, it's so funny to me. Like I have friends who, like I have a nothing fucking fan base, right? I have, and I, I don't say that to be demeaning to the people that like me and follow me, but you know, uh, in terms of numbers, like it's, it's a very moderate fun fan base, right? Um, there are people with a 10th of the fan base that I have who, who find themselves, or I find them saying things like, you know, with the platform that I have, the responsibility of making sure that I'm on the right side of history is important to me. And it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude, like your, the overblown sense of self-importance that so many of these people fucking have to where they're like, you know, if, if I don't change and I don't have the right views, you know, that's not just bad for me. It's bad for the world. It's just such a weird, you know, it's such a weird sort of delusion of grandeur that what you think is so important to so many people you've never met. Um, and you know, my, my views never really change, but, but so many of the people around me have, I mean, and there, there are people that I was like comedians that I was friends with, uh, in Los Angeles that have gone through such drastic transitions and some of them actual gender transitions um, to where it's like, we can't even, there's not even like a common ground to have a discussion anymore. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's who's some of the, your favorite people that you worked with? I mean, in comedy, have you, have you uh, worked with a lot of stand up comedians? Do you mean like done shows with? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them. I mean, the the guys I like the most um, are often not necessarily guys I would end up on lineups with. But 
you know, I'd say one of my favorite memories in comedy and, and one of the more recent ones, sort of before the pandemic, I, I did a show at the Comedy Store, was one of Sam Tripoli's comedy chaos shows. And uh, I got to be on the lineup with Rogan and, and Ron White. There was a moment backstage where I was trying to figure out a bit and I was talking to my buddy Sam Tripoli. It was his show that he books. And I was like, man, I can't get this bit right. And just out of our peripheral, like walking kind of their conversation over to our conversation was Joe and Ron and Ron White starts helping me workshop the bit like right there. He's like, have you thought about moving this part to that part? And what if you lead with this? And I was just like, oh yeah, no, that's cool. And then I, it wasn't until I got in the car and was driving home. I was like, holy shit. If you would have told 15 year old me that someday you're going to be a comedian and fucking Ron White is going to help you with a joke in the back of the comedy store, you would never believe that. And so like, you know, with all the ups and downs in my career, those are the, those memories are the things to me that are priceless of like, you know, to, to even fathom being a kid in, you know, Austin, Minnesota, um, you know, never had at that point in my life, never really seriously considering the idea that I could be a stand-up comedian. Um, and then to fast forward all these many years forward, being on sharing stages with some of these big guys and, and getting to meet them and, and then, you know, them taking an interest in you enough to work on your shit with you for two minutes. You know, there's comedy has this sort of brotherhood that no other, uh, parts of entertainment have like with musicians and actors. It's so fucking competitive that you put two of them in the same room, two bands or two actors. They're all trying to figure out how to fuck each other over. And with comedy, it's not really like that. It's a lot more of like a, we're all in the trenches trying to figure this shit out together. And, um, you know, it, the, those are the cool things. So I, I would say, you know, that memory, it, it's hard to say like that the guys I perform with are necessarily my favorites. And that's changed too. Like some of the people I loved when I first started, like guys like David Cross, it's like David Cross just blocked me on Twitter last week. So it's like that there's the other end of the spectrum too, of like people that I came up loving before I met them or got to know them in any way, shape or form now hate me because of a political ideology. And these are people I've never met. And, you know, Gavin and I have had conversations, Gavin McInnes and I have had conversations about that a lot of like, you know, this, there's this weird thing that people on the left have where they want to make you feel embarrassed for being yourself because of the way you think about the world. And that's a, like a person who's willing to do that to you was never your fucking friend. And that's a hard thing to come to terms with. Um, he went through that with David Cross. They were friends at one point and, you know, there was just like a moment where they they had to separate because, um, you know, you have different political ideologies and like the idea of your guy friends divorcing you is just really fucking gay. You know, like, like if one of my guy, if one of my guy friends ever, and by the way, none of them have, because the ones who do this don't have the fucking balls to do it. But if one of them ever called me and was like, I have to disassociate with you because, um, you know, you're kind of in this place and I'm in this place. I'd be like, yo, that's the gayest shit anyone's ever fucking said to me. Um, and I've had to call people out that have done it not to my face. Like I went through a thing back and forth, um, with it, with a dude named Jeff May, who's a comic I, I kind of started with here in LA and, and kind of helped out, helped out a lot in his career. I got him the same entertainment lawyer that I got to work on a deal for a show that he had that never necessarily materialized, but it was like, uh, dude, I've, <laughs> I did a lot of this shit to help you in your career. And now you, like there, he left a comment on somebody's thing on fucking Twitter where he was like, yeah, my relationship with Josh Denny is the biggest regret of my career. I was oh, like, Jesus Christ. Like what a, what again, like, you know, it's, it, it sounds kind of hacked to use the word fag as much as I find myself doing these days, but it's the, it's the only thing appropriate for this behavior. Yeah. Or retarded. That works too. Retarded works too. Yeah. Retarded works. Too. I don't know though, man. Like, and at least retards for the most part in my experience have principles. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's very true. Uh, we got a bunch of super chats and, and funny, uh, top lops. So he's the guy who does all the art for the show. He's the one who did your, your thumbnail and stuff. Uh, he, yeah, he cool. makes a very astute ob observation. He says, Denny's trolls aren't nearly as rabid as Borisenko. So I had, uh, Borisenko on the show and she's a, a, a proponent of ending, uh, critical race theory, but she's, she gets mad if you say that it's a anti-white 
uh, uh, program. And she's got like all these people who just went nuts on my show. I had people were dropping in bombs in there and stuff. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, they're definitely not as rabid. Uh, but Borisenko Boris is it? I've had her on my show as well. And she is a, first of all, lovely chick. Um, but I will say like, she triggers something in people that, uh, is, is one of those. It's also probably why she's, she's had the fucking rapid growth and success that she's had because she just like sticks people in a certain way, man. And she is a very, like every, anytime I've seen her on people's shows, it's like a very love hate, um, reaction to her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, some people in the chat are talking about the tracking on my face. Yeah, guys. Uh, so unfortunately for some reason, <clears throat> I usually use a, uh, uh, it's like a EOS Canon EOS webcam app that you can use so that you have clean HDMI, uh, from my DSLR. And for some reason that's not working tonight. So I had to use the, the, the cam link 4k, which does not give you clean HDMI. And if you you can get it clean, but then you don't have autofocus, and I'll be very blurry. So uh, I just took that off, and you guys are going to have to deal with the tracking. You know, sorry. I'm Welcome sorry. to the sharper image. Yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Uh, but yeah, you, you got some super chats here. Uh, PKPK five dollars super chat said, "Could you pretty please ask Denny about a plane crash he was in?" Is that this is this is an amazing thing that that the trolls like every show that I go on, they jump in the chat and they're like, "The plane crash, the plane crash, the plane crash." This story is very boring. The story is as simple as this. Like, and I'll I'll start by asking you a question. Do you have or have you ever had one of those friends that's like a fucking know-it-all about everything? Oh, so many. Several. Yeah. Well, Several. you're a libertarian. Yeah, it's yeah. probably the, the half of the party or, or more, right? Um, yeah. So one of the comedians that I met very early on out here had a, a pretty big podcast at the time, and I was a regular co-host on his show. We were traveling to New York together one time, and um we were talking about gear up landings. So, and I don't know if you're familiar with the phrasing, but a gear up landing is basically like a modified crash landing that a plane does. If the landing gear freezes or doesn't open or close. Um, and I had seen one when we were in Philadelphia, like my flight had to be delayed because they were trying to figure out what to do with this plane. And we landed, um, like an hour late and this flight had been circling, trying to get their landing gear unfrozen, and then they couldn't. They ended up having to do what was called a gear-up landing. And so I'm having a conversation with this dude, another stand-up comic, about the technical shit that goes on with a gear-up landing. And uh, it was like, no matter what, what shit I gave him, he was like not hearing it. And, uh, and I was like, dude, I'm telling you, uh, I know what I'm talking about. And he goes, oh, like you were fucking in one? And I go, yeah, what if I was? Um, and he's like, oh, okay. All right, well, if you were in one, there was, so it was like this cunty back and forth that we had. Now, on the flip side of that, uh, one of the real conversations we had um, was about, fast forward, we had a conversation about why I didn't, I didn't tell people the nature of why I don't drink. And... Um, he was very butthurt that I let him believe and let a lot of people believe. And keep in mind, I'm like in my mid twenties at this time that, uh, I didn't drink because I had issues with it or I had problems with it or whatever else it was. Because quite frankly, when you tell people just, you don't drink because you don't want to, they get fucking weird about it. And so, um, it was one of those things where when you're a comedian and you don't drink, people just assume that you are in recovery or you, you had a problem with it or you stopped because you were fucking partying too hard. And I just let people believe that. And so he was really hurt. Uh, he was like, you fucking led me to believe that you were this person that you weren't. And then shoehorned the ball busting conversation of the plane, the gear up landing into that. And it was like, Oh, so you lied about this and you lied about being in a plane crash. It was like, nobody fucking said they were in a plane crash, dude. Um, but yeah, so like we went back and forth with shit on the podcast and, um, you know, you go through those. One of the things I remember about going through that, because people clip shit out of the podcast and then they edit it to try to make it look different than it was. But I remember at the time there were two very distinct things. One, I didn't want to get into a whole thing about this dude's insufferable fuckface personality on his show, because when you're a guest on somebody's show, you don't necessarily want to air all their dirty laundry 
in front of their fans. It'd be like if I knew something very personal about you and we got into an argument and I started revealing a bunch of personal shit on the show to try to leverage the argument, right? That is that is so happened there are a to lot me, of times on by the way. <laughs> has it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so the funny thing is, is, and he knew that there would be times where we would get into arguments on the show where he knew that I wouldn't air his shit out. So he would just fucking hammer me. And I, and there were times where I'd be like, all right, dude, I'm just going to shut down. I'm not going to go back at you because there's no way for me to win this on your turf. And then we would get into these all out fucking wars off air where I would be like, yo, dude, like you're, you're a shitty person. You have a shitty fucking attitude about life. Um, and you know, he and I aren't friends anymore. We haven't spoken in seven years, something like this. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it was like, uh, a very sort of, uh, personal interaction that ultimately should have been entirely private between he and I, and, um, you know, the fans of his show have just continued to follow me throughout my entire uh, career. And, um, you know, that sticks, that sort of sticks in their side. Like that for them, it was like the card. It was like eating the fucking apple. This idea that I, in this debate about fucking gear up landings that I, you know, had to go to the length of embellishing my interaction with it to get him to shut the fuck up and listen to somebody else, you know? And then, uh, it becomes this kind of, now it's almost like a meme to troll thing that everyone does when they come into chats on other shows that I do. So, you know, it's not that interesting a story and, but it also tells you like how fucking desperate these people are to have a thing to try to get you with. And, and the reality is, is like, I, I I've had to make peace with it because what it is, is like, I'm so open about the shit that happens in my life, embarrassing, good or otherwise that I, there's not a lot hanging there. Like there's not a lot to get me on. And so these guys really have to fucking reach to find, um, you know, things to try to get me with, you know, boy, do I know how that feels, man? Trust me. I, when I was running, yeah, for, when so, I was running for chair of the party and they just pulled out everything they can. And I'm like, you know how public I am about all my shit? Like you're not hurting my feelings literally at all. But yeah, uh, when, when I got when I got fired from another job for comedy in 2019, um, like, dude, we my girlfriend and I like we were in really fucking rough shape financially. We did a GoFundMe. We had to like raise money to make sure we didn't lose everything, and it was a hard time. And so it's like to me when when you've had to share publicly the most embarrassing, depressing, hard times of your fucking life, what what is there left? And, uh, and, and it is a weird thing. It's a very like sort of liberating experience to go through because when you are that low and you're that low publicly and you can survive it, then nothing, nothing feels so sacred or so, you know, fragile True. anymore. True. And so I, you know, I think people that don't like me don't like that the most is that I am so fucking open about things good or bad or failure or otherwise that it's like when you're so forthcoming about your shortcomings or the things that you're unhappy with in your life or the things you're trying to change or the things you're trying to work on, they have to go to the lowest levels and scrape the tiniest fucking things to try to find something to get under your skin. And it's just like, you can't get under my skin, man. I'm a fucking alligator. I've, I've, I've been through it all, man. I got diamond skin and hands by crypto by crypto. Uh, but Hey, your, yeah, your yeah. trolls pay, man. They're super chatting. Like, crazy, yeah, listen, dude. This is what's amazing to me is they're giving you money so that I have to see what they're typing. And it's, you know, it's all the same boring shit. They don't have anything new going on. And these are people completely uninformed. Like I see one dude going lied about why ginormous food was canceled. Tanked ratings tanked early in season two. That's inaccurate. Tanked further in season three. That's true. But that was, that was contrived by the network had nothing to do with Josh asking for two. You don't know. Like you have no fucking idea. These people just don't know anything. Check the Nielsen data. The Nielsen data supports what I say. I don't. I don't know so what that is. It's just so by the way, the Nielsen, Nielsen data. data is uh, television ratings data, and they go the 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 ratings tank. The ratings didn't tank in season two. The ratings were great. Part of the reason why the ratings tanked in season three was because they moved us to a different network, and some of that was a little bit of strategy on their part of trying to lower the value of the show to fuck me over in negotiations. So you know that's what I think is funny is like people people talk about their opinions of what they're perceiving from the outside in like they're facts and they're not these are losers that fucking watch me through podcasts and think they fucking know 
what the intimate inner dealings are of my life and my business day. You don't know shit. You do know everything because you have your head so far up my ass. I do appreciate I do appreciate you guys taking care of break the cycle though. Thanks for the ten dollars, Xander. You Thanks, guys, buddy. You guys are killing it. Uh you're helping out my family of nine. Thank you. Seven kids, two babies. Shit is crazy. Do you really do you really have seven kids? Because I'll stay on this fucking podcast for the next twenty four <laughs> hours and raise money for them. Bro, literally I have no problem. Doing I literally that. so here I've told the story on the podcast. If these guys want to try to empty if they want to empty uh their bank accounts for your betterment to attempt to get under my skin. Let's do it. Let's see how far we can go. Well, yeah. So, so I've told the story on my show quite a few times last, uh, last March before I moved to Iowa, I was a bachelor living with my best friend, uh, in, in a three bedroom track house outside of Oakland, California. And, uh, and, uh, a year and a half later, my fiance and seven children, one of them's actually my granddaughter. Uh, so, uh, but the story is that my fiance had two kids already, uh, when I came out here originally, I was just going to quarantine for the 15 days to flatten the curve. Uh, we f- found out later that that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but uh, she got pregnant. There is no <laughs> there is still cur- uh, so she got pregnant in April. Um, and then uh, so we had the baby on the way. And then I got custody of my 16 year old daughter who didn't live with us or with me. Um, and she had two siblings from my ex-wife that were going to go to uh, foster care. But we were able to also get custody of them keep them out of the state's hands uh we had my son new year's eve that made six and uh when we went down to arkansas to pick up my daughter and her two siblings she was pregnant we found out she was 15 years old and pregnant so she had my first granddaughter in march and so we have seven kids in the house two babies it is wild man it is absolutely wild so yeah man you this guys is why you're it. in this is why you're in what appears to be a fucking basement hidden away from the chaos this is literally my basement dude this is literally my my basement, one hundred percent. Yeah, you look and, like you're barricaded in for the end of the world. And it's so funny because like right behind the screen that you're on and all the lights and shit is like Barbie dream houses and dinosaur toys, and it's just it's uh yeah it's a mess, man. It's it's a you know what you know what's funny is around this wall my house too, and I don't even have kids. <laughs> nice. Uh, I gotta give a huge shout out to Lucky Charms who came on the show last night. Uh, while while I had Mark Pellegrino on and dropped like three hundred dollars in super chats, like you're, and then came in tonight and dropped another fifty bucks. Like, thank you so much. Nice. No so idea cool. how much that means to me. I don't know who you are, but please, please message me on Twitter or something so I can like get you a break the cycle shirt or some kind of cool shit. Uh, Outlaw Barber dropped a two dollars super chat. Said, "When are you coming to Oklahoma for a show?" That's what he wants to know. Yeah, I'd love, I I I don't know yet. That's the answer. I I'm trying to figure out how I want to do shows moving forward. Um and I and ultimately, you know, now that now that the comedy clubs are on this trend of like we're going to demand everybody be vaccinated too. Um I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but I do I do like the idea of doing like really intimate, you know, 30 to 50 seat venues. Um, and, and bring in a couple comics along and, and, you know, if like we, if we sell something out, we can always just add second shows, but I would almost rather do like bar and restaurants than, you know, and that's what I did early in my career. Like when I first started doing stand up on the road in 2008, it was like all bars. It was all one nighters and bars. And, you know, back then shit in 2008, a year into comedy, I was making, you know, 300 a show to 600 a show and doing like six shows over seven nights, making great fucking money. Yeah. And uh, and nowadays it's like the clubs don't even pay that money when they have you come out and do an entire weekend. They're not paying. They're not trying not to pay you that much per show. So I don't know. Like I, I'd rather do intimate venues, sell our own tickets, uh, not have to deal with any of the nonsense, and and do them in markets where I think people really, um, you know, where I think people really kind of get. Or, or have an appreciation for the kind of stuff we want to do. So one of my good buddies is uh, comedian Ty Rivera uh, out of Las Vegas, and he's he's an anomaly all unto himself. He's a, a, a gay Mexican Trump-supporting comedian um, who does a ton of uh, – well, a lot of the gigs he does is kind of like – he prides himself on doing the redneck bars of America. And he's a really fun guy and really funny and uh, that's somebody I'd love to hit the road with and do stuff with. You know, Chrissy Mayer and I have talked about trying to do some stuff together. I mean, I, I love her to death. She's great. Um, so, yeah, it's really just uh, eventually, eventually I'll get to all these places. It's just figuring out how and when and, 
in the meantime, I'm trying to be really hyper-focused on the new show I'm doing for Censored, and uh, that's taking up a lot of my my creative energy at the moment, and, you know, that's that's kind of what my focus is at, and there's really no rush for me to get out and do live shows um, at the moment because... You know, it's it's there's so many variables of unknowns of like, you know, travel. You know, I've seen things where they're talking about like mandating vaccine passes uh, for airline travel, like trying to do it federally. I mean, when the president of the United States comes out and says, I'm checking with the Justice Department to see just how far we can force vaccinations. You know, you kind of got to be like, holy shit. Like, did did we ever think it would get to this level? No, I mean, well, I, I talked about it last year. They're going to end up having some kind of vaccine and there's going to ha- be some kind of passport system to keep us from participating in society. Of course, Facebook kicked me off for saying that kind of shit. Now, now it's true. It's no longer conspiracy. Um, oh, th- isn't that I, yeah. dude, I've, I've pretty much just killed Facebook. I have no interest in Facebook anymore. I, you know, I just it's to me, it's just a fucking dead platform. Yeah, I just recently there got are a lot back of, on. There are a lot of people that make a lot of money on Facebook, but it's just not. That, that Every time I try to put any effort into Facebook, I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. Well, I just uh, I just recently started a new Facebook account after I had been kicked off since October. I tried to start two more, and they immediately like kicked me off within six hours of starting them. And uh, it, was because, wow. it was because I said the Wu flu was, from, uh, was probably let out of a, a lab in China. Uh, and now, which has uh, now been proven yeah. to be true. Yeah, which is now the pro- the proven uh, approved narrative. You know, uh, so now they let me back on. You know, almost a half a year later, or whatever, over a half a year later, and uh, you know, whatever this, it is. This is this is how fucked Facebook is, and this is why I have such a, a shit relationship with them. Facebook took a video of mine that I posted and suggested that I run an ad with that video. Like when you post a video, they're like, here's what a promoted post with this video would look like. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I had these live shows coming up uh, in New York and I was like, hey, let me try this. Let me see if I can use if the video gets more of a response than promoting the event. Like, let me see if I try that. Like, good, good recommendation, Facebook. Your your business development shit worked. And I saw your promotion for my promotion and I'm going to try it. And then I literally fucking at their recommendation created an ad campaign around one of my short standup videos. And they took down my ads account because my video violated their, their content policies against hate speech. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me that your automation recommended an advertisement campaign to me. And then your automation told you that the very video you recommended I promote with money, uh, be removed for hate speech. And it's just because the video was titled white privilege and there's nothing in the video that's really offensive. The bit itself isn't offensive in any way, shape or form. Um, and so like I literally had to fight tooth and nail to get my Facebook ads account back. And it took three months. And by the time it was done, I was like, do I even care about this? What's the point? Like, yeah, it's like, what is, what am I even doing this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I get it. And I, you know, I, I, I'm worried for the day when YouTube does the same to me because it has become such a, uh, uh, an amazing, invaluable second revenue stream for my family. But at any time, YouTube can be like, we don't like what you say. Fuck your family, you know, and the, there you go. And that's how it goes. And, um, Thankfully, I have great patrons and, and subscribe stars, and I all my content gets directly uploaded to Odyssey. It's like synced there, so I won't lose my content. I'll just lose the platform and have to find a new platform. But uh, yeah, man. Uh, shout out to Marshall uh, Forward for dropping a ten dollars super chat, man. That's really cool, you guys. Thank you. And my uh, my fiance Julia Annalise, I love you, sweetie. She dropped a, a two dollars super chat and said the kids are ready for me to read. <laughs> oh wow! Well. Yeah, you've you've been summoned. Well, she's they, your trolls got her all up in arms in the in the chat because uh, they were asking you when you're going to marry your long term your long long time girlfriend. And uh, my fiance immediately starts going, "Oh yeah, good question for both Josh's who, huh?" And I'm like, "Great, thanks." Guys. Oh shit, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for I didn't mean for my quagmire to walk you right into yours. Well. <laughs> I will tell – I'll speak on behalf of both of us if you don't mind now. Yeah, yeah. Get you into total hot water. No, we uh... – No, I'm, listen. My, the, 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 to, I don't know, man. It's such a weird <laughs> – I have a very libertarian answer of like, 
we don't have any significant assets to protect from the government. And until that happens, like until we acquire land or property, there's really no point in, you know, making our union legal in that sense. Like she's the beneficiary of all my insurances and stuff like that. Like you can do all that without being married. So there's really not a point to it. Like we don't, we don't desire to have a party to force our friends to come to and give us money. So, you know, that's, that's really the short reason we don't have kids. We're not going to have kids. Um, you know, we, we've been together for, and we can get into it. This is a whole other fucking point of discussion, but you know, my philosophy about monogamy is like people should be together as long as they want to be together. And the second that they don't want to be together, like the other person should feel like they're free to leave. And I think marriage complicates that. And ch seven children definitely complicates that. So my answer is probably not your answer, yeah. but, um, yeah, but I mean, for, for me, it's just like, yeah, I, I would never want somebody to feel like they're stuck with me. And yeah. if that, if that were to make her feel that way, I would never want her to feel that way uh, on my end. Fair, fair, fair enough, sir. Well, we're definitely at the end of the public stream here. Uh, I don't, I didn't talk to you. I do a, I do a, a private members only stream uh, between 15 Ooh, to 30 we have minutes. To take our, do we have to take off our gear for this? Yeah, one? that's where we go. To, it's called, it's called after hours and that's, we got a couch and everything. Yeah. So it's going to be really nice. No, but, but listen here, uh, we keep calling them trolls, but man, you guys are, you guys are my fans now. Uh, so make sure you hit that. <laughs> right, make sure you, you make sure you hit that subscribe button. That's how you help the algorithm hit the thumbs up. But uh, also you can become a member of this uh, YouTube channel for six bucks a month. And uh, you get to see an after-hour show with every single guest between 10 to 30 minutes or so uh, where we talk about the juicy, controversial stuff. So maybe if you make it into that members-only uh, private stream, we'll address some stuff there. But Josh...